My name is Emma Foster. I'm recording this podcast of my own free will. Joining me, as always, is Mr. Mike Mould. How are you, sir? I'm Michael Mould, and I'm recording this podcast of my own free will. Do we have to touch the worm? Yeah, afraid of, sorry. Uh, right. Take your heels off. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know I forgot all about those worms? Yeah. Funny that, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Anyway, so yeah. let's have a chat about Time Heist. Yes. Now, again, I'm going to put my hands up and mm. say straight away that I was a bit meh on going in on this episode because mm. I thought, well, Listen was so good mm-hmm. and so much fun. Well, you know, sort of weird sense yeah. that um, I didn't really know how this was going to stack up. But actually, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. Hmm. I had a feeling it was going to be like a fun one again um, yeah. you know, after Robots of Sherwood. And I'm very happy with this one. I think this one, this one could have been a bit of a clunker, but actually it worked out quite all right. I mean, it's not sort of the greatest Doctor Who story going, but it is it does sort of like it does its job. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, they sort of really put around this thing that this series is going to be sort of an all killer, no filler type of affair. And so far... I think they've sort of mostly fulfilled that remit. And actually, when you're sort of looking at episodes like this and Robot of Sherwood, you would mm. think that mm, this might be a little bit iffy. But I was really pleasantly surprised by this one. Yeah, yeah. So, should we talk about the heist itself? Because I thought that was quite linear, actually, for a Doctor Who story when you think about it, even though oh, there yeah. is like time travel elements to it. I, I was thinking, with since this was like co written by Stephen Moffat along with Steve Thompson. I was expecting it to be a lot more sort of timey wimey than it actually was. Yeah, it was very, it was very sort of as as linear as those timey wimey stories get. Mm-hmm. It was sort of you know, it was one of those nice ones of you see the the end at the beginning and it all kind of comes round to where we started mm-hmm. by the finish. But it was very, it was very accessible. It was very easy to follow. And mm-hmm. when you sort of latched on to who the architect actually is and mm-hmm. All that sort of thing. It was it was one of is a great example of writing for everyone who's watching. I think yeah. it, it it might be a touch simplistic for an adult watching, and mm-hmm. you've sort of worked out who the architect is kind of twenty five minutes in, and all this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But for kids watching, I, I think it's a really nice sort of gentle introduction into that kind of timey wimey element almost. Mm-hmm. So mind you, most of the kids I've ever spoken to have a far greater understanding of the timey wimey than adults do. <laughs> It's true. Um, so, shall we talk about the characters? I actually really liked the two main guest mm. stars who could have been really kind of meh and nothing and just sort of cannon fodder, especially when you think that their sort of failsafe is just a suicide mm-hmm. thing rather than a transporter. Yeah, I mean, Sai and um, Sabra. Uh, I mean, I really like, they were sort of like. Ocean's Ocean's Eleven, but with fifty five percent less of the cast. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of this is sort of like what the the main vibe of the episode is. It's just like this and sort of like hustle, and it's yeah. like when when they sort of enter the bank of Carabraxos. I mean, there's like some of like the screen wipes and things like that. It's like oh yeah, somebody's been watching Hustle. <laughs> oh, absolutely, they've been watching Hustle. Do they have Hustle in the states? Do they get that from us? Uh... Which is basically, if you don't, or any other territories, basically it was a, quite a long running series over here about a sort of rotating cast of you know criminals or grifters you know mm. with hearts of gold really sort of rob from the rich uh, give to the poor type hustlers essentially mm. is yeah. what they were yeah yeah 
Yeah, I, I really enjoyed um, Jonathan Bailey and Pippa Bennett Warner's uh, Science Saber, respectively. I mean, yeah. it, it's it's so easy that they could have had like not that much to do. And yeah. sort of when you think about it, they didn't. I mean, they had they got the like moments, you know, the you know they had the establishing you know um, tricks up their sleeves, and then they deploy them, and then. But um, it's also help useful when it's like it comes back round, you know, after they after you think they've sacrificed themselves for the job, and then they actually end up coming back and then sort of doing the things again, especially Sabra when she disguises herself as the guard when yeah. uh, they're threatening. I thought- uh, that was clever. I did like that bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, I have to say one quick thing about um, Sai. I was reading some internet comments. <laughs> oh, like every week with yes. this. <laughs> Do you know how many people lost their absolute shit over him because he had a USB cable? Oh, God. Honestly, Do you know what's I'm... really handy? USB cables are. Yeah. But it's sort of like, well, this is like the far future on a distant planet. Why has he got a USB cable? Maybe well, he's a retro one. A lot of people still have eight tracks. Yeah. Well, what's what's the U stand for in USB? Universal. Figure it well, out. Mind you, though, he didn't do that thing that I do of trying to put it in. It's the wrong way around. Put it in again. It's still the wrong way around. Turn it around. <laughs> basically five times before it goes in. So he's not sitting there going, no, 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 like that, even though there's only one possible way for a USB to go in. Get in. Get in. Get in. Uh, <laughs> although, mind you, though, I did think that how he shaved around his implants, mm. I thought was very good. I'll say yeah, that is a bit, you know, the old lady in me. I'm like, oh, I bet he picks that. <laughs> I'll leave a mark. <laughs> but it was a bit like, say, so it was quite X-Men-y as well. I mean, mm. um, uh, Sabri's um, skills are basically rogue. Yeah from the X-Men and she can't touch anyone either. Mm-hmm. And I did quite like that you get their fulfilment of what they want. Cause I did wonder mm. if the doctor was going to ask them to give it up. Yeah. Um, to save the, the teller. Yeah. That I was, was teller's mate also. Yeah. I was, I was half expecting him to like sort of hold it for, to ransom against me so they could finish the job, but he actually just, just fought them straight over. Yeah, was, I did. Yeah. Which I, nice. it, I think it's quite remarkable about this doctor in that we're sort of, we're debating these things amongst, you know, in our own minds when we're watching them. Mm-hmm. I think if this is any other doctor, I mean, maybe apart from the six, mm-hmm. you know, oh, you know, it, this yeah. is going to be like a happy ending and these people will be all right. But when he was so blase about them apparently suiciding themselves to get away from the teller, mm. it was kind of how you, you, you're almost used to him being so blank mm-hmm. about it. Or pragmatic, and, really. Or pragmatic about it as mm-hmm. well. And obviously, Sia calls calls him out on it mm-hmm. and he sort of yeah brushes it off just ignores it because it's sort of for the greater good mm-hmm. sort of oh, i should say in the right for the greater good like in um <laughs> shut <Hot> it <laughs> narp um narp because <laughs> you're so used to well not so used but you're kind of you expect that kind of ultra pragmatic behavior from this doctor mm-hmm. you just kind of take it as read that oh yes they must be dead mm-hmm. so that's why it was a nice kind of flip on that yeah that they were actually okay. Yeah. I mean, for, like, the Doctor's pragmatism in this, he does get some great moments where he does, like, I mean, when they're in the private vault, and he sort of, like, he starts to click about what's going on, and he's, like, he's going about how much he hates the architect. Like, yeah, I mean, that's... I hate him! <laughs> and it's, but he's, I mean, that is the big clue as well mm-hmm. for everyone who's watching that, oh, the architect is the Doctor, because mm-hmm. no one hates the Doctor like the Doctor hates the Doctor, yeah. so to speak. I mean, there was there was two ways that could have gone. It was uh, when I first like 
you know, when we first introduced the architect, I was thinking it was either Carol Braxas or the Doctor. Yeah. You know, there was there was no other person it could be. Yeah. And when it, I think it was finally when the Soul Storm hit, it was like, okay, it's the Doctor. Yeah, because absolutely. Because the, the foreknowledge. Spoilers, by the way. Um, <laughs> well, we would expect that you've seen this episode oh, by yes. the time you're tuning into us. Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't, what are you doing? <laughs> Seriously. Mm, um, absolutely. Um, I mean, so it was, um, I must say, I'd really like to talk about the actual character of the teller. Mm. Now, I was really quite impressed by how he looked. Yeah. Especially as it was a practical costume as well. Mm. So I think they got a much nicer reaction out of the actors as well because they were actually looking at a thing that worked properly. Yeah. Not just, you know, a, a painted ball on a stick, which is what they're usually <laughs> looking, reacting to. Mm-hmm. So they're able to, like, get a get a vibe from him and he's all in that sort of Guantanamo orange and chained mm. up like Hannibal Lecter and <laughs> um, I must say as a former bank employee oh how I would have loved to have one of those things chained up <laughs> by our front desk <laughs> yeah <laughs> but, I'd say um, if we had a few people with their brains sucked out just kind of plonked at the front hmm. had much less grief I'll tell you that yeah oh that was uh, that was pretty creepy actually I mean the the concave head not so much, but... Oh, uh, yes. I mean, I, thought, I did find that quite creepy, though, the concave head. Yeah, it was creepy, but I don't think it was... Bi- I don't think it's biologically possible, like, to be perfectly honest, because you've got this sort of skull thing. <laughs> yeah, you'd have to take the skull off. Yeah. It liquefies your skull as well, but... Um, yeah, possibly. Yeah, but I did quite like the thing of, like, the, the, the eye stalks kind of moving and mm. creating the effect or whatever yeah. you would... Yeah. I, I just thought it was an interesting design, although it, the... The actual resolution of the story is quite reminiscent of Hyde for me. Mm, yeah, that's, that's definitely that. Um, but I, I think unlike Hyde, it's got a little bit more of a definitive ending because you see the two, the teller and its mate, you know, walking off into the sunset. Whereas mm. with Hyde, it was just very much implied that the crooked man had a, a mate. And, you know, the, the last shot is the doctor heading off to go pick him up yeah. and reunite them. So, <laughs> but... Um, yeah, but it, no, the the teller itself was a really good design, and mm-hmm. um, it's very impressive practical effects. So yeah, I do I do quite like that they're trying to sort of because we're humans, mm-hmm. and if you're going to put someone in a suit, you're always kind of be sort of restricted to a two legs, two arms, one big head sort mm-hmm. of different forehead type configuration, mm-hmm. like on many other things, and like we've had on Doctor Who for donkey's years, <laughs> but the the advances in prosthetics and how we can use digital with practical effects means that they're being much more ambitious and they are sort of going more towards Hyde mm-hmm. sort of crooked man things, which I think is probably one of the most ambitious creature designs I've ever had. Yeah. So I like that they're going more extreme mm-hmm. and sort of you hope sort of as things improve all the time and effects get cheaper and prosthetics get more manageable to wear and Mm -hmm. things like that you're going to see more and more sort of out there designs yeah but it's and it what's nice as well is with the teller is that you accept him in this world Mm. you're not completely transfixed by him and he doesn't seem out of place yeah you accept him as uh, like a, a physical being it doesn't like chuck you out of the story every time you see him and you think whoa that's a bit of cgi or something like that mm-hmm. you know if you're watching a movie or if you if you see something that's obviously an effect or something that's kind of it, it kind of swoops into the uncanny valley almost mm. it just it kind of catapults you out of the story whereas the teller was just in that right zone that you 
just accepted him as a part of it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you sort of like, oh, that's weird. Yeah, it is weird, and yeah. it, it it would say it's just on that right, mm-hmm. on that right cusp. But I think the Crooked Man might be sort of as far as you can go with it. I wonder right mm-hmm. now, but yeah, it would be nice to sort of see if we can ever have sort of the non non bipedal type mm. creatures. Yeah, so sort of getting into more Lovecraftian sort of. Uh... Yes, more Lovecraftian is good for me. I I enjoy all <laughs> that shit. So yeah, I'm I'm happy with the weirder the better for me. Yes. Mm. Keely Hawes. Blinding, I thought. Yeah. I thought she was great, and especially as um, sort of playing the dual roles. She actually managed to make them quite different. Mm. Which I, Although you only got very limited screen time between the two of them, only a little bit of... I mean, Miss Del Fox was kind of... It was like that kind of snarky power suit mm-hmm. kind of... I don't want to say like ultra bitch kind of character. Yeah. Um, like, person you'd see who's sort of been catapulted out of like... Um, a Jackie Collins novel, almost. <laughs> yeah, we're certainly in the same sort of like vein as Von Hartman from Torch uh, in Torchwood, yes. and um, um, oh, oh, God. the nanny, what's her face from um, yes, and, Crime, yeah, and uh, Celia Emery's character in uh, Bells of Saint John. Yes, yeah, that, that's very sort of same um, vein, but also I sort of liked her as um, Cara Brass herself, as like yes. very slightly not necessarily snooty, but you know, very much like. She's in charge, you know, and she likes to like lord it over people, you know. And yeah. um, when when she sort of explains how she disposes of her own clones, which is what Miss Delfox is, and um, as soon as when when uh, the Doctor goes on his I hate the architect right, he goes, "What the name of sanity is going on?" And he turns it back around and I, "Oh, we're getting sanity driven from the self burner." <laughs> yeah, I do quite like that. Um, th- this Doctor's kind of. The, the sort of the ultra sarcasm, the mm. ultra dryness of Capaldi's interpretation. I really, as someone who's a sarky cow myself, mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. I really do enjoy it. And yeah, to just sort of just really just go straight for the jugular with it as well. <laughs> I I do like that. Yeah. Um, and you get another hint of the doctor's disdain for people who don't break out of their roles in life. Like we talked a bit about that in listen our review mm. of listen in the when miss delfox says you know oh, my face fits and i'm just sort of stuck here doing that and you can just sort of see the the kind of um the doctor's uh contempt meter kind of rise mm-hmm. quite yeah. considerably <laughs> but it's obviously you later find out just to full extent her face fits later on but yeah it's it's continuing that theme of his uh dislike of those who just accept their lot in life mm. also i have to uh Give a brief shout out to Kevin Brighting, um, the voice of uh, the Bank of Carabraxos, who um, some of the gamers might know as uh, being the narrator uh, from the Stanley Parable. And um, unfortunately, he didn't get a, a voice credit for it, but oh. um, he did write on his Twitter. <laughs> the narrator was a bit miffed that he didn't get a cast credit on tonight's Doctor Who, which I thought was funny. <laughs> and Stanley Parable, quite a good analogy for this story mm. as well. But yeah, I just I've, it's one of those stories that... Um, it probably won't ever be like in anyone's top ten, mm-hmm. but it's it's you know it's it's just a, a cracking forty five minutes, and you you sit and you enjoy it, all of it. I mean, and it's one of those things that again everything could have been very much more ordinary, like the mm. the guest cast could have been much less um, on point. But I did like um, one one thing I really really did like sort of towards the end of the story was that you see the twelfth Doctor cracking a few jokes. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's talking about the Cesare Borgia thing with the therapy. I did. I love that bit. And as an Assassin's Creed fan, I really appreciate a Cesare Borgia joke. Yeah. So I was talking to my mum, and um, she had a good giggle at um, 
the jug just before the cloud leaves the TARDIS. And she says, she says, oh, I'm, I'm going out for another meal now. And she says, uh, oh, don't worry, uh, Carly's consuming the TARDIS. I have no lacking effect. She says, are you kidding? She says, of course I am. It's a time machine, not a miracle worker. <laughs> Gotcha. Yeah. I will come back to that though. Um, mm. um, uh, I will say that seeing that little breakthrough of humour and stuff, and mm. all them eating Chinese food on the TARDIS and that sort of thing, I it made me appreciate how much I really enjoy those bits of softness from this Doctor. Mm-hmm. And I will say that although how much I'm a, I'm really enjoying Peter Capaldi as the twelfth Doctor, mm-hmm. I'm I'm sort of almost really looking forward to those little glimpses of kind of a softer side of him. Yeah. And I sort of find myself craving those a bit as the episode goes on. Mm. So I do hope that, although you haven't got to completely turn him into mush, I do hope that we get to see some more of his softer side. Yeah. And, uh, um, it's sort of getting into that thing with the Sixth Doctor. If you wonder why Perry sticks around. Yeah. It sort of makes me think that, is is Clara sticking around out of some sort of, or going on adventures out of a sense of responsibility that she has to look after him? Mm. Or is she actually enjoying what she's doing? But it's probably a bit of both, actually, because um, <laughs> you know, once they actually get into doing the heist, she has like no major concerns about going along with it. Because no. I think, ultimately, this Doctor is probably one of the best pilots of the TARDIS going. Because yeah. he's, he's able to like land her just like just minutes before she's supposed to meet Danny on her date. So, you know, this is, this is probably... <laughs> The most accurate flying of the TARDIS. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, he's he's pretty on point. I absolutely agree. But you sort of part of me does think is is she going because she sees herself as his carer mm, and that's sort true. of trying to keep him out of trouble, or does she genuinely want to go and see what's out there? Mm. I say oh, the other thing that kind of linked into this, and now it's week five, mm. it's beginning to grate. Mm. Can we please park the Clara fat <laughs> makeup? short jokes yeah Stephen Moffat if you fancy her just push <laughs> her down in a puddle or something because apparently that's what you want to do because you know it's it's playground shit you know <laughs> so what I mean say, it's, like, it's like the rationale of a six year old boy it is oh, I really like I go and pull her hair and kick her shin <laughs> Like you say, although that I did have a little giggle at the thing about the, her eating and the tar- calories don't count on the TARDIS and stuff, it's mm. kind of it's now turning into too much of a trend for me that every episode there's like a fat joke at her mm. expense, and it, it's, it's something that went around Tumblr and how true this state this thing that allegedly happened. I don't know if it's true, mm. but there was this thing that was being sent around Twitter like a screen grab and like a nine-year-old girl who wasn't watching it, who decided not to watch it because the doctor was being mean to Clara and that's not how friends treat friends. Mm. And you sort of, although you might be like, mm, yeah, sure, that happened, but you sort of starting, I'm starting to sort of get that vibe from it yeah. and I find it quite unpleasant and mm. sexist and unnecessary. Yeah, it is getting and much. I'm, it's getting much. And, you know, I don't want people to be like, oh, social justice warrior or whatever. No. You know, I'll take a joke. I think, like I say, the face coloured in joke I thought was quite funny as a short ass myself, mm-hmm. you know, with all the hills and stuff. You know, I get that. It is a giggle. But for five consecutive weeks, yeah. can we please park that now mm-hmm. off? You know, it just yeah. it seems it seems like too much. And I get that this doctor's meant to be oblivious mm-hmm. and just sort of says whatever comes out of his mouth and he's alien. It doesn't get human conventions and all that things. But, you know, it, you are the boss in the day. You write it. 
Mm-hmm. So can we please leave it now? Yeah. It yeah. just comes across mean now. Yeah, it is. It is actually starting to get uh, a bit sort of like it's like oh really? Yeah, it's like Ugh. yeah, it's kind of that. It has got a certain amount of cringe factor to it. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean it's yeah, it's it's kind of. I mean, still, I still think like the stuff in Deep Breath um, was sort of like you know never try and control a control freak. It's just Clara's reaction. Like, I'm not control freak. Oh, yeah, I mean all that stuff. Moments. I mean calling her out about her control freakiness mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing, and she won't let things go. And you know, I again, I understand that you're you're calling out an aspect of her character, mm-hmm. but to keep, sort of keep picking at it every week, mm-hmm. it just like I say, it just seems mean and unnecessary and sexist and creepy. Yeah. So you know, I appreciate why you're doing it, and it is funny in in you know in doses where appropriate, but. Just quit it now. We get yeah. it. Fine. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, like we're talking about the little comedic moments of this story. I mean, it was nice that you get it sort of all blended together because sometimes the sort of the little meat cutes at the beginning as well with Danny and Clara and stuff, you would <laughs> think it would be too much. But I did quite like the get out that the kid who came in when they uh, that did make me laugh, you know. And it sort of all, and like I say, the Tara Pisa stuff at the end and <laughs> dropping everybody off at sort of their end destinations mm-hmm. it all it all flowed really nicely and i did like that because sometimes those bits can just sort of stick out like a sore thumb because mm-hmm. you're just putting bits on the end of the episode to make it 45 minutes yeah and that's that's the, that's the good thing about this season so far is like when there's they have these like cool down moments it doesn't mm-hmm. feel out of place it doesn't yeah. feel like it's been like slapped on just because they're running short yeah absolutely i mean i will i will also say that it I'm not saying that this wasn't in the case in the others, but much more this series. I don't know if it's sort of the changing direction or how they're sort of writing it, but it, it although you know that there's gaps in between what the doctors do and Clara, when he's in between where he says sees Clara, there's mm-hmm. other things going on with the doctor who's travelling solo. Mm-hmm. It feels like a one continuous narrative. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, they in series seven they were going for an individual, like a movie each week, whereas this is mm. sort of, I think, meant to be kind of viewed as one, like, huge, like, double-length movie almost. Yeah. I like what they're, like, doing with, like, Clara and Doctors. Like, they're not, like, constantly together. But I think it's... I think after, sort of, like, when whenever Jenna Coleman does leave, I think maybe um, we should maybe go back to, like, having, like, the full-time companion. Yeah, I would because I mean it's it. yeah, because yeah, I mean it's it's not like like I say it's not a bad thing what they're doing with it, but I think it's just sort of like there's like only like so many like ways you can have like the Doctor and Clara meeting up again and then they go off on an adventure and then he drops her off and you know it's just like there's only so many times you could sort of like do that sort of thing. So unless they're just like to have a few stories where she's already on board like saying robot of Sherwood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they like they've been knocking around together for a while, and she's like, "Let's bugger off home or do this sort of weird thing or mm-hmm. whatever." Yeah, I mean, like I, I hundred percent agree. I do appreciate that. Obviously, they're trying to, you know, they they've seen the doctor. They're also people who have lives, and mm-hmm. you can't just vanish out of it and there not be consequences. Yeah. Or you're trying to live in two worlds all at once, and drama comes from that. But yeah, I I'd agree with you. I would like a return to the full time companion. Also, sometimes it does feel like. They're sort of leaving gaps, so you can cram ten thousand audiobooks, <laughs> um, novels, toys, games, all that guff in the mm-hmm. gaps. Yeah. So, is there any little more things you want to mention? Because I, I, I will just give a brief shout out to all the criminals. Yes. That appeared, um, and Absalom Deck, uh, yeah. 
jumped out. Dalek He's killer. Cannon. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was great because we had Ice Warriors had a Terrellepital. Um, yep, Slovene. Yeah, Andrevex. Um, John Hart from Torchwood. Boo. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the trickster from Sarah Jane. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was nice actually. And it was one of those things of sort of rewinding it and sort of pausing through it to see who was in there. And mm-hmm. yeah, but seeing old Absalom in there got a little cheer in the in the Casa Foster, most <laughs> certainly. Yeah, another bit I really liked is um, when the Doctor's getting his mind scanned by the tell to try and figure out what the, what the hell was happening. When he says uh, about like the scarf and the bow tie, and he thought <laughs> embarrassing, and he says, uh, "What do you think of the new look?" I was going for minimalist, but I ended up with the magician. Oh yeah, that did make me laugh. I yeah. did like well, that. That was what great. I, what I found extra funny was I saw a video on YouTube of uh, Peter Capaldi on Craig Ferguson's show, his talk show over in the states yep. when uh, In the Loop was um, coming out, which was about two thousand seven. Mm-hmm. And when like Capaldi came onto stage, and he had he had a jacket a coat very much similar to the Doctor's on, and he actually opened it, and inside was sort of like a like a purple like velvet lining, <laughs> which oh, I, nice. And um, when he when he when they like they both sat down, Craig says to him, "Peter, I didn't realize you become a magician." <laughs> so I was I'm kind of like slightly wondering whether like uh, Thompson or Moffat sort of like noticed that and sort of put that in the back of their mind. Yeah, I would say he's been dressing to be the Doctor all these years before yeah. he got up. <laughs> yeah, so um, how about the scores? I'm going to give this one a solid mid-card six. Okay. Um, enjoyable, say a touch, just a touch too reminiscent of uh, Hyde and its resolution for mm-hmm. me, uh, although I, I I don't take away from that really. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was just a solid mid-card who for me. Yeah, um, I would probably give it. I would actually give it a, a seven. Okay. Actually, because uh, it's I, I I really just I generally just like in, enjoyed this one. It's it's very slick, very nicely done. I mean, there were bits of it where you sort of like you're just missing like the the opening from uh, Little Green Bag by the George Baker selection. Do you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> um, but uh, I no, I I really enjoyed this one. This is probably this is one I would quite happily like pop on again. It's like, just yeah. watch. Yeah, or well, this is one that if I was sort of pottering around the house mm-hmm. and I wanted something on in the background just to sort of watch and look at every so often, this mm-hmm. is sort of the episode I would stick on and just have yeah. on while I'm doing something else. And that's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It's a nice thing. Yes. So, we'd like to hear what you thought about Time Heist. You can email us at greatestshow at simplicity.com or you can visit the Facebook page. Emily, would you tell us about that, please? Uh, yeah, if you uh, head over to Facebook and uh, in the search bar, just put in The Greatest Show in the Galaxy podcast, we should pop up, give us a like and pop something on our wall. Excellent. You can also follow us on Twitter at Greatest Show Pod. Um, also, while you're on Simply Syndicated, do check out some of other shows. You should know what they're all by now. And uh, with that being said, thank you very much, uh, Emma. Yeah, uh, thank you very much, Mike. And just before we go, I just want to give a very special shout out to one of our stable mates over the little pod of horrors and the soon to be returning. Here goes nothing. Um, one of the co-hosts there, Boz, is marrying his lovely lady Lavinia. Uh, by the time this episode goes out, they should be happily married. So, mwah, love you guys. Yay! <laughs> right, take care. Bye. Bye.